0: So, a number of years ago, I had the chance to go to a Cubs game. It was an important Cubs game. It was a game that would decide if they were going to go to the World Series or not. Now, this isn't the most recent chance to go to the World Series. This was the one before that. And uh, it was we were feeling pretty confident. We got two games to, to, to win one, and we are winning. And it's looking really good. And there's this play where the, the guy who hits the ball hits a foul ball down by the line. And there is this huge, young Cubs fan that reaches over and touches that ball. And where I was sitting was on the exact opposite side of the field. I really couldn't see exactly what had happened except Moises Alou kind of freaks out and and has this reaction to something that happened in the stands otherwise it would have most of the 40,000 fans would have missed what happened but because Moises Alou reacted then the players reacted and the game started to fall apart and it fell apart bad and as it was falling apart I'm watching and spectating um, the most volatile mob I've ever been a part of. I'm watching 40,000 people with anger and hatred towards someone they can't see. I'm watching people from the upper deck throwing their full beers down in the general direction of the guy who is the culprit. They don't know who the culprit is. And they're certainly not hitting him with the beer. They're hitting everybody in the vicinity with the beer. I, I'm watching what I think you would get normal, mild-mannered Cubs fans. I think that they were ready to string him up. Truly. It was, they had, to, they had security come in and get around him and wrap him up and cause him to leave uh, in a way that tried to protect him. Unfortunately, the press didn't do the same. They posted on his, they set up on his parents' lawn showed where he lived, and gave his name. And now his name is infamous. I won't speak it here, because it should have never been spoken. But what causes average people to react? What is, what's going on with a mom? Charles Dickens wrote in the Pickwick Papers, and uh, he's, one man is giving advice to another. Uh, Mr. Pickwick is giving advice to Mr. Snodgrass. He says, hush, don't ask any questions. It's always best on these occasions to do what the mob do. But suppose there are two mobs, suggested Mr. Snodgrass. Shout with with the largest, replied Mr. Pickwick. Volumes could not have said more. There is a bunch of people that get on bandwagons. Whatever it is, and we've seen in the last year some bandwagons. We've seen people that have been part of a mob mentality where all of a sudden the mob is doing things that they can't believe are being done. They might have had a good intention when it started, but then might be breaking windows or stealing and looting, and and that's happening right in their midst. And do you join or don't you join? Well, Mr. Pickwick's advice is go with the mob. Go with the loudest and the strongest and the biggest. We often think of Palm Sunday as an occasion for us to join in a celebration of Jesus as he comes in as the peaceful king. What we don't recognize is that there is a mob that he's meeting that's there for Passover. And they are swinging, they swing at this point to a degree with Jesus. There already is a sense of swinging back in this story. Jesus, is not placing his trust in humanity, but he's placing his trust in his Father as he heads to Jerusalem. There is clearly a sadness attended by this day as well as joy. And in it, that very first day and every day that we've celebrated Palm Sunday since is an invitation that we can worship the King truly today. So join with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40, and we will see that we can worship Jesus the King today. In Luke 19, 28, it says, And when they had said these things, he went on going uh, ahead, going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, which is called Olivet, And they said, the Lord has need of it. God has prepared a moment for worship. God has preordained a moment for worship. In this time, Jesus has been moving towards Jerusalem in Luke for for us, for 12 chapters. The first mention of him moving towards Jerusalem was very early on in Luke. Luke. And as he's been moving towards Jerusalem and teaching people and preparing for this moment, the time is now at hand. As he moves towards Jerusalem, the the author acknowledges that he's coming up to Bethany and Bethphage. So when they said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near, three times in this passage and just after this passage ends, he says, when he drew near. Jesus continued to move with, with, a, with a confidence. With, he, you know, he doesn't lose, get caught up in the mob mentality. There is a certainty as he moves towards Jerusalem. He's been warned by his disciples that you may die. And yet he moves towards Jerusalem. And he has said for three years, this is not yet my time. And now this is the time as he moves towards Jerusalem. He is going to let the mob do what the mob does, and in time, the same people who are going to pretend to worship today will cry, crucify him, only a few days later. As he drew near, the mention of Bethany and Bethphage would cause someone who knew the Old Testament to think of the promises that are available in Zechariah 14. Speaks of a king that comes that will absolutely change the landscape of Jerusalem and the world. He's he's entitled the king of the world in Zechariah 14. For the Jewish people, this was an exciting promise. As they look back at Zechariah, they're thinking, this is when we win. This is when we're going to overcome all the nations around us. He's going to be king of the world. And as Jesus comes by Bethany and Bethphage and aligns himself with that king, he asks for a colt. And he speaks in this way, saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Jesus speaks as if he can tell animals what to do and animals' owners what to do. He speaks with a confidence and a certainty that God has ordained this moment. He knows what's going to happen. And it has already been prepared. Notice also that throughout Jesus' ministry, we don't see him riding. We don't see him. And it's not that he's tired finally as he gets to Jerusalem. But it's been a long three years. Get me something to ride on. No, he is... There's been a preordained moment, and he speaks with the certainty that God has prepared this for him, and the colt will be there waiting. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? you shall say this The Lord has need of it. The Lord, the King, the one who speaks with authority. We see many speak with authority today, and usually those who speak with authority speak the loudest, speak the angriest? Who can speak in a way where Jesus, like Jesus, with actual authority? You know, when I was in junior high, uh, there was one guy in our school that had nothing to prove. He didn't have to impress anybody with his bravado. He was the biggest and the strongest and everybody knew it. So he was actually nice to people and kind to people. There was a confidence in him. It was The bullies were actually the ones that were underneath him that were trying to impress somebody or move up the ladder. And they were bullied. There were plenty of bullies in my junior high. Jesus does not bully in his leadership. Jesus just is Lord. And as he gets on a colt, as he asks for a colt to be untied, and that God the Father has prepared this for him, he has nothing to prove, in fact, what he's saying is that I come in peace. Zechariah 14 is speaking of a king who will overcome. And Zechariah 9 speaks of a king who rides in on a colt. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. This is the promise of this conquering king coming in peace. This is the thing that, how do you get your head around it? How does he come in on a colt to be victorious? How can you worship a king that's humble? How can you worship a king that, isn't fighting and do, fighting against those oppressors right now and isn't fighting against the people that have hurt us and isn't fighting for us the way that we want them to. And yet God has prepared this moment for worship and this moment for the king, the Lord, to come in on a colt. It has been prepared long before Zechariah wrote his prophecy. It has been prepared from the beginning of time that the Son of God would enter in Jerusalem on this day, on a cult, and he would be received by worshipers, by those who are fickle, maybe worship you today if the crowd's loud enough, maybe worship you tomorrow, but the crowd swings, we're going with the crowd. Like that game swung from adulation and joy to anger and hatred, So are those swayed who have not decided to worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus says the Lord has need of it, so those who were sent away, he doesn't tell us which disciples, that's not what's important here. And found it just as he had told him, that's what's important. It went just like Jesus said. There's the cult waiting for them. And they go to untie it. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. I can't imagine this moment unless God ordained it, unless God planned it. I can't imagine someone coming to my house, jumping into my car, getting ready to drive away. And I say, what are you doing? Why are you taking my car? And they say, well, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Unless God had planned this, this wouldn't be. Where is the confidence of this? Why is this miracle important? Because it's saying that this humble king is who he said he was. And even the animals obey him. And even owners who don't know him obey him. Even those who never got to meet him personally have the opportunity to worship. Even us today and every year as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrate this moment that God ordained. He gives us an opportunity today to decide that we want to worship, that I resolve to worship regardless of where the crowd goes, regardless of how society changes. We are in America in a post-Christian culture, which means that we're raising children that no longer know the stories of the Bible, no longer know who Jesus is and what he did, that's the culture swing. But that doesn't change for the followers of Jesus. We don't sway with culture. Do you choose to worship Jesus today? Regardless if anyone stands with you or not. God has preordained this time for worship, and you can see his sovereign control over the world in these verses. But God hasn't only prepared a moment for worship, he's prepared a people for worship. And that people that he prepared that day, that first day, the disciples, they were taking chances, overjoyed, outing themselves as Jesus followers not sure how the crowd would swing, not knowing what would happen, and yet they went to Jerusalem acknowledging and loudly acknowledging that this is the one, this is the Savior, Zechariah 9, Zechariah 14, this is the guy. In verse 35 it says, and they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, and they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. This is significant that he's walking with his disciples. Now, what I want you to know is, this is the season of Passover. And Passover was one of the three big feasts that every Jew who could would travel, would would do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and be there to celebrate Passover. So as you're on the road on that Sunday, getting ready for Passover week, and they, they walk through that, towards Jerusalem on that last stretch, they would have been surrounded by people that were just going for the Passover. And Jesus is going with his disciples and the group might be growing and getting larger, but as the the praise starts, and as the joy and the acclamation starts, it begins with the disciples bringing acclaim. As soon, while they're still two miles away coming towards Jerusalem, they bring this cult to Jesus and and they throw their cloaks on the colt. What does that mean? They don't even want him to have to sit on the colt. And it is, a, it is a picture of praise and worship and adulation. And then they take their cloaks and put it on the road so the donkey, the colt, can step on their cloaks. Now They don't have a lot of clothes like we do. This is significant worship for them. They're giving what they have and laying it before their king. And as we know, this will spill out in the crowd to people taking palm branches and laying it before Jesus so that the cult can come in honor and Jesus can come in honor. The disciples chose to worship even when everybody else wasn't. They chose to worship in the beginning. They brought the cult back and in the face of fear, And a society that had decided to not, in general, trust Jesus, leadership that had tried not to, that attempted not trust Jesus. This tension had already been built, and they're riding into the tension, and the disciples are declaring, "This is our Lord, right here. This is the King. This is the promised Messiah. This is our hope." And again, as he was drawing near in verse 37, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is uh, separated from Jerusalem by the Kidron Valley, and you come up the Mount of Olives and, and pass down, and then you come into that gate into Jerusalem right next to the temple. And as he's coming down that hill, the people start to gather. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. That's what we do as his disciples. We praise with a loud voice. This is our king. This is the one who's worked miracles in my life. This is the one who's changed me. This is the one who's given me a future. This is the one who's given me a plan for my life. This is the one who's restored my earthly relationships because he gives me his peace and I can spread peace. He's the one who's restored Miraculously, my heavenly relationship with God and that I can be right with God even now because of what he accomplished, this is the king. And I should rejoice with a loud voice. And how many times do we, the people who have been prepared for worship are embarrassed of our worship or are reluctant to worship or slow to declare I remember standing in a job trailer where I'm with a bunch of guys that I work with. They all know I'm a Christian. They all know I go to church. And they all know I'm a Cub fan. And it's all kind of the same level. Well, he's one of those guys that goes to church. He's a Christian. And, and they're having a conversation. And I'm looking at the blueprints as they're having this conversation. And you know, construction guys could be a little coarse. I don't know if you know that or not. And, uh, and they're talking about sleeping around or something. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, One of them says, hey, Berg, you sleep around, right? No, actually I don't, I've been faithful to, you mean you didn't have sex before marriage? As he chuckles. And there's this moment where I get to declare the excellencies of my Savior who saved my marriage, who's, who fights for my marriage, who brings whole relationships and has a plan for us that we can follow. And I am I going to declare it in front of people who are giving me derision? It's easy for me to declare it here. It's easy for me to say I stay faithful before marriage. It's easy for me to say that here, but in front of other people who deride you or you're still going to say it as loudly and confidently as if The risen Savior is there listening to your words and you would declare for him. See, God has prepared a moment for worship for us. And you have to decide if you're going to worship him or not. And you can go along with the crowd and you can raise a hand and you can shed a tear and you can look like everybody else. But as soon as the crowd sways, where do you go? God has prepared a people for worship, and how honored are we that he would call us his own. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Can you imagine how those around them responded? Some joined in, some saw that the Pharisees were coming out, Stepped away a little bit. I don't want to be seen with them. I don't want to lose face in front of those who have power. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's quoting Psalm 118, 26. And it says in Psalm 118, 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And if you were to look at Psalm 118, you would see what was very familiar for the Jewish people in the Passover. When they would celebrate the Passover, they would quote these verses, and they would quote them with the promise that the king was coming. The king that that would save them nationally. That would save them from the Romans. That would save them from their oppressors. So this was commonly spoken in the time of Passover. But now, linked with Zechariah 9, and for them to be doing it to one person, they're not just speaking of some king that might come someday as the promise of God. These disciples are speaking of it, Psalm 118, of Jesus. They're saying Jesus is this king. Jesus is the one who is coming to fulfill the prophecies. Jesus is the king. Now, hang on any king coming into a new land where he's going to declare his kingdom coming in on a colt? You're supposed to come in on a white horse. You're supposed to come in with power. There should be swords around you. You should make people afraid to not follow you. If Jesus declared, if God declared this moment for a people to worship him, couldn't he have done a better job of impressing them? Can you picture him coming humbly, peacefully? And so he is with us. He doesn't bully us into believing. He doesn't force us to believe. He humbly offers to be your Savior, your Lord, your King. And you have a moment that has been prepared where you can decide who it is that you serve. And when you choose Jesus, it doesn't matter what the mob says anymore. When you truly choose him. and Kids go off to college, Christian kids, and they find out sometimes that their very professor is pushing against their faith, ridiculing them in front of other students for their faith. And I tell you, students, stand. Decide this day who you will worship, and don't be swayed. Verse 39, we see the opposition begin, and this opposition continues to the place where the mob cries, crucify Verse 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why rebuke your disciples? Because this is crazy. This is crazy. You coming in on a colt, declaring that you're the one that God promised. You are nothing like what we imagined God promised. We expected you to be a king that came in and dominated that demanded your rights. And yet he came as the one who fought for the ones who were beaten down. He came for the one that was accessible to you and me. He came humbly and he came peacefully. And yet he declares in verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. What is Jesus saying here? Well, if you were to look at Psalm 96, 12 and 13, it says, let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of this forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God doesn't just command Cult. He commands every object that he created. And he has given people choice. And all of the earth will sing his praise. And there is a little bit of a shot to us and to them who choose not to worship completely, to choose not to follow God with our whole hearts and to call him Lord and lay our lives before Jesus, that even the stones get what they don't get. Even a rock can figure this one out, that Jesus is Lord. He's not knocking them for their obtuseness. He's telling them that God is going to bring this about and you're choosing to keep your fingers in your ears and make enough noise that you're not listening to what God has been saying. For three years, Jesus has been preaching and inviting and speaking about what God is doing. And for three years, more people have rejected than have accepted. And his disciples don't number a great many at this point. And some of those disciples are going to leave. And I love the moment when Peter is telling Jesus, don't you know you've offended people and they're all leaving? Don't you know we could have had a megachurch? Jesus says something I wouldn't have expected him to say. Do you want to go too? And Peter responded how disciples should respond. I've got no place else to go. You hold the words of eternal life. And here they are heading to Jerusalem. To their trial, praising God Loudly. Honoring Christ as Lord and King. Palm Sunday is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity of us coming into that Passover week. The Passover was a promised that they had been celebrating since the moment when the angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses if they had blood over the lentil of their house. If there was blood over the doorframe from a, a lamb, from a sacrificial lamb, then the angel of death passed over their house and death did not visit them. And all of that was, now God has ordained the moment when Jesus would come in for the Passover feasts and declare that I am the one who will be sacrificed. I am will offer the blood that will allow all of you to not be responsible for your sin and overcome the angel of death. There is a moment that was prepared that Jesus talked about through his ministry, and that moment was talked about again and again. It is not my time. It is not my time. It is not my time, and the time has come. As we worship Jesus this week, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we worship Jesus this week, week of all weeks, we move towards the most precious moment when Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for our sins and rose from the dead. But it begins with this day when Jesus went into Jerusalem and faced a mob. Jesus ended with, I tell you that if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus has prepared a people for worship. He's still gathering us together. As his followers, if we were there then, we would have the wonder of being able to lay our cloaks before him as well. But today we do it differently. Today we have the opportunity to worship him with our whole hearts and give what we have to him and use what we have for his glory and for his purposes. As his children, as his disciples, what else would we do? You see, it's not like they imagined that I'm a Cubs fan and I'm a Christian and that somehow my loyalty to the Cubs and my loyalty to Christ are somehow comparable. They're not comparable at all. And it's my loyalty to Christ that kept me from that mob that day. I had no interest, I was worried about that kid. Didn't know his name at the time. Why? Because I serve a king that isn't swayed by mobs. I serve a king who comes humbly and not only loves the one who, is, who made the mistake that is now being hated, but he loves the one who's throwing the beer from the upper tier. And he is offering a moment. Would you be one of my worshipers? If we were to read on, and I've mentioned this passage enough times that I didn't include in the sermon, but for the third time we see Jesus drawing near. And verses 41 and 42, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus came peacefully to bring peace and to offer peace with people and God. In our Bible study on Thursday night, we talked this week about the gospel, and we talked about judgment versus glory, and how Jesus Christ offers glory, and he offers hope, and he offers a future, and he offers life, and so many choose to not follow Jesus. And What about those people who don't receive the gospel? What happens to them? And as we discuss that, What I wanted to make clear is, do you understand the heart of God here? Does this week make any sense to you that he has created this moment for us? He has created a moment for you to believe, and if you imagine the disciples having a debate as they're getting into Jerusalem, well, what about those people that are in the crowd that have not yet decided? God is giving them an opportunity right now to decide. And the heart of God as he comes and he weeps over Jerusalem. you see Jesus weeping over the lost? He cares more than we do. Can you see Jesus weeping over us to the point that he would go to the cross and provide a way for us? We, his followers, can never question the love of God when we consider the cross. Or this moment where he would continue to go I mean, this is the king of all heaven and earth, and he has authority over all heaven and earth, and he is going in on a colt humbly, and he is letting people deride him, and he he is going into the place where he's going to give his life, willingly, because he loves us. This moment for worship and this people for worship are all wrapped up in a story of love that is beyond our understanding. Because none of us, not one of us, would go for their creation and give up heaven and give up all that we have and are and let the people that we're dying for spit on us, ridicule us, drive a a, a crown of thorns into our head, mock us like we're nothing. And yet, we're the king of kings. No, as followers of Jesus Christ, as worshipers of Jesus Christ, we cannot question his love. Just look at the cross. As we come into this Passover week, this holy week, this week where Jesus was preparing his disciples and those who were listening for his death and his resurrection, I would ask you, invite you to worship the king. Worship the king no matter what your family says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what your neighbors say, I would invite you to worship him in spirit and truth. So as we go to prayer and go to worship, would you join me now in worshiping our king? Dear Jesus, I am. I wish I could have been there to offer my life and offer my goods to you in worship. But you have preordained this time for us. You have made this moment in time for us when we can choose to worship you. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity. Thank you that you've loved us. Thank you that you are the king. Thank you that you are a king that is accessible to the the humble. Thank you that you chose not to dominate us but you chose to love us and provide a way for us. Father, would you bring many more this Easter season Would people who have seen what COVID brings and what this world is still struggling with, with sin and Division, and I pray that this would be a great opportunity for people to see the one who came to save us. Would you save and would you receive our worship? In Jesus' name, amen.